So about two decades, actually over two decades ago, Jeff Foxworthy made a national career out of one question, are you a redneck? He said, if you've ever bought a used cap, you might be a redneck. If you've ever been involved in a custody fight over a hunting dog, if your wife has ever said, come and move this transmission so I can take a bath, you might be a redneck. If you were shooting pool when any of your children were born, if you prefer car keys to Q-tips, if you ever lost a tooth opening a beer bottle, you might be a redneck. If you saved lots of money on your honeymoon by going deer hunting, you might be a redneck. If you've ever made change in the collection plate, you might be a redneck. Well, I decided to title the sermon this morning, You Might Be a Legalist If. And because the passage that I want us to focus on is actually back one chapter, chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7, where Jesus confronts what he considers and what we consider legalism, but he gives us some insight about how legalism works, and he actually gives you a way to diagnose the legalistic parts of your heart. All of us have got a little of it in us, and, and Jesus kind of helps us to bring it out and bring it to the surface and understand it so we can make it shrink and we can make the God-loving part of ourselves grow. So it starts with this episode, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And, And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe washing cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Mark uh, is writing to people who don't know Jews uh, in Palestine at all, uh, probably writing to people in the city of Rome. And so he has to explain the customs of this strange place where the events of the gospel took place. And he says this is a serious issue with many of the Jews washing, making sure everything is clean. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now this uh, was a custom particularly among two groups of the Jews. The Pharisees and the Essenes were very famous for washing and having a lot of rules about washing. The Essenes would wash their bodies, baptize themselves essentially every day. And the Pharisees said the same kind of cleanliness and purity rules that the Old Testament says the priests should observe, we think everybody should observe. Most people couldn't do that. Most people didn't have the time or the resources to live that kind of a life. But the Pharisees uh, often uh, were a slightly better off financially, and they could do this. And they, and they felt like everybody else should try as best they could to, to wash in the way that the priests were supposed to wash to keep themselves pure 
in the way that the law prescribed for the priests and for others. And so they had a lot of traditions built up, and these weren't new. I mean, these had been building up over a couple hundred years. And so when they see Jesus' disciples not bothering with the particular prescribed form of hand-washing, or maybe not bothering with hand-washing at all, they are shocked. And this is a way to criticize Jesus to say, if, you, if you're really claiming to be a rabbi, if you're really claiming to, to love God, why in the world can't you do this tiny little thing? Teach your disciples the proper way to wash their hands, to be pure in the way that our religious authorities for 200 years have agreed should be done. Why can't you just do that, Jesus? So it's a way to criticize Jesus. And actually, just the structure of that story tells us our first test for whether or not you're a legalist. If you use God's commands to judge others more than you use it to correct yourself, you might be a legalist. If you use God's commands to judge others more than you use them to to correct yourself, to judge yourself, you might be a legalist. This is one of the diagnostic Tools we have to figure out if we're following in this path of legalism. When are you most likely to quote the Bible? When you're condemning what someone else is doing? Or when you're trying to correct what you're doing? People say, you know, we Protestants, we uh, people of the book, we don't confess our sins. That's a... That's another religious tradition. We don't do that. We don't confess sins. That is not actually true. We love to confess sins. Just not ours. So I, we want to talk about other people's sins, and we are extremely good at pointing out. And sometimes our expertise in Scripture is used mainly to figure out what's wrong with you. And what's wrong with that group over there, and, and those folks over there, and, and what's wrong in your... Now, the Bible does have that ability, but that is not why you have a relationship with God and His Word. The first purpose of God giving you access to His Word is so that you will apply it to you. James chapter 1, the book of James, brother of Jesus, chapter 1, starting in verse 23, he says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. The purpose of the law, the primary purpose in your life, is to help you get close to God. Now, you can use it to help other people too, and you should. 
But man, if you are not applying this text to your life and being humbled by it and, and, and being led day after day and week after week to recognitions of, yeah, this is an area I really need to work on because I, I look at myself and the, and the mirror of the Word of God shows me that I'm not where I need to be and, and the Word of God is working on me. It's only when you're that person that anybody's going to listen to what you say if you say, you know, this is what the Word of God says about what's going on in your life. We love to confess sins, other people's sins. Nothing is more pleasant than to be right. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're right scripturally or not, almost, for this to be a pathology, for this to be legalism. Nothing is more pleasant to correctly diagnose What's wrong with other people using the Word of God? We actually love to do that in politics. I mean, that's mostly what American political commentary is now. Just confessing the sins of those other guys. Whoever, it doesn't matter who the other guys are. Just, we just love focusing on what they're doing wrong and how rotten they are and, 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 and so forth. We love confessing other people's sins. Now, it's pleasant. It's also got... Zero power. The confession of sins that has power is confession of your own sins. If you want God to actually be in your life, rather than holding Him at arm's length and just kind of playing in the shallow end of the faith pool, if you want God to be actively changing your life for better, then you start using God's Word. And you start confessing to God where you do not see yourself reflecting God's will. If you use God's commands to judge others more than you use it to correct yourself, you might be a legalist. Jesus fires back. The Pharisees make this charge. Everybody who's there knows it's really a way to criticize Jesus. And so Jesus fires back. Verses 6 through 13, chapter 7, verses 6 through 13. He says to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Hypocrites just means an actor, somebody who puts on a false face. And Jesus called the religious leaders hypocrites a lot because he saw this behavior in them a lot. He says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is... Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Jesus starts with a very general principle, a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29 is where he's quoting. They didn't have chapters back then, of course, but he's quoting from Isaiah 29, but he, uh, and he says, this people honors me with their lips. They love to say, oh, we love you, God. And their hearts are untouched. 
The hearts do not come to me. Hearts aren't interested in coming to me. Starts with a general accusation, and then he comes to a very specific one. Honor your father and mother. That means take care of them. They took care of you. You take care of them when they need it. Honor your father and mother. That's a serious, important command. It's one of the top ten commands in the Old Testament. One of the ten commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And you've figured out a way. You've you've pecked away at aspects of the law. You've pecked away at wording of various traditions until you've gotten to a place where you can tell somebody you're absolved from the duty to take care of your parents. If you say the magic word, Corban, over your resources, you don't have to do it anymore. That's another beautiful way to diagnose legalism living in my heart. If you study God's command to figure out how to do your will rather than God's will, you might be a legalist. If that's the purpose of your biblical study, is to justify what it is you already want to do in the first place, or what you're already doing. If your purpose is for your will to succeed, rather than to honestly look at this book and ask what? Is God's will, really? To seek God's will in this book is what it's for. But I can study it and use one verse and then another verse in order to justify what I am currently doing. When I teach the Sermon on the Mount, I taught it down in Tegucigalpa uh, in Honduras at the Baxter Institute uh, just a few weeks ago. And I, I love teaching the Sermon on the Mount. I always get this question around... The ending of chapter 5. Okay, it says love your enemies. <clears throat> Is there something different in the Greek with how that's worded? <laughs> say, no, in Greek it actually says love your enemies. Same as it does in English. It says turn the other cheek. Is there? No, it actually says that. Those are challenging commands. And it doesn't do us any good to wiggle around and try to figure out a way I can keep on being the person I am. Those commands are meant to turn me into somebody more like Jesus. And yeah, they're tough. And yeah, none of us ever live up to them completely. But every time we manage to love our enemies, every time we manage to hold in our anger, every time we manage to prevent lust, from creeping into our lives and all the other things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Every time we do it just a little bit, we are turning our heart more into what God wants it to be. And every time we say, well, I think I can use this verse over here to contradict this verse over here, and I can figure out a way to keep on doing exactly what I'm doing, we leave ourselves as dead as we are right now. We refuse the offer of growth. We refuse God's offer to make us bigger, to help us become mature. We say, I didn't like being right where I am right now. Sometimes we want our will to be done. We study God's Word so that our will will be done in winning an argument. You can even be right on your doctrinal... Actually, all these situations, you can be right and still practice in the wrong way, in a legalistic way. If 
If I have the right doctrine, but the main reason I want you to say I have the right, right doctrine is so that I win the discussion, or win the argument, that's still legalism. That is still legalism. What, what works, what helps people, what actually touches people's heart, is when I really care about God's will. And it's obvious that I'm applying God's will to my life, that I am humbled over and over again by my failures and what the Bible reveals about how much I am not yet doing that God wants me to do. From that position, if I also apply God's Word to your life, that's touching. That can, that can make a difference. But if I obviously am just quoting Scripture at you to get you to agree with my position, and I show no interest in applying God's Word to my own heart, then no one's going to listen. You're not going to listen. No one's going to listen. And rightly so. puts up barriers to God's Word when I do that. If you study God's commands to figure out how to do your own will rather than God's will, you might be a legalist. Finally, Jesus turns and makes a comment to the crowd about the Pharisees, and then he explains it privately to his disciples. He called the people to him, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. It's the things that come out of a person that are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is therefore expelled? Thus he declared, all food's clean. Mark's little comment there. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. Going back to the teaching of Isaiah 29, the Lord says these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If you offer God external acts to make up for an unrighteous private life, you might be a legalist. This is one of the problems that is addressed repeatedly, especially in the Old Testament prophets. There were laws of God. There were laws about sacrifice. There were laws about attending the temple. There were laws about purity. All of these externals. And repeatedly the prophets say, if you fast, if you offer sacrifice, if you come to the temple but your heart is far away from God, not yielded to God at all, it's, it makes things worse, not better, between you and God. 
Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. The multitude of your sacrifices, God says through Isaiah, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings and of rams and the fattened animals. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. When you come before me, who asked you this trampling of my temple courts? Well, God, you did. It's, it's right back here in Exodus. I mean, it's uh, who asks this of you? Coming to me with all these sacrifices, coming to me with all these prayers in my temple court. God, we thought we were doing what you asked. Not like this, God says. Your new moons, your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Do you know that was in the Bible? I have to admit, the first time I read that, I was a little shocked because I get tired. Sometimes of church services, I didn't realize God gets tired. That's what it says. I'm, I'm sick of all these worship services because of the way they're being carried out. When you spread your hands to prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. That's what God says through Isaiah. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the orphan. Plead the case of the widow. You can't come to me and offer me a little sop of worship and think that that makes up for a heart that is turned away from me. You can't do it. Those external actions have meaning only if they're coupled with a yielded heart. And when they're coupled with a hard, unyielded heart to God, they actually do more harm than good to our relationship with God. What would you think of a husband who brought his wife flowers every day? I actually did that for about, I, I think I sustained it for maybe two months. I brought my wife a flower. I was cheap. I brought her a flower, but I tried to do it every day. I think I sustained it for <clears throat> a month or two. Is that romantic? Okay. We have some approval. We have some, I didn't hear any men saying amen, but uh, we have a little approval. What would you think of a husband who brings his wife a flower every day, but never speaks to her, never pays any attention other than that flower, never cares about what she wants, never cares about how th she thinks things should go, actually doesn't care about anything she says at all, but faithfully, day after day, here's your flower, here's your... How long... Would it take before she was ready to beat his head with that flower when he brings it? Right? Because what might be in another circumstance an actual token of love and affection has turned into just an external symbol of the distance between us.
And that's why God says, I am sick of the way you are carrying out your worship services. Because you have no intention of taking my word and actually letting it change the way you live your life in your heart. But you come, you show up, and you sing songs and you offer the sacrifices. Now, the thing is, our external worship is precious to God when it's offered with just the tiniest bit of a yielded heart. Jesus, actually a little bit later, in a couple of chapters, He's going to say, as a matter of fact, if you bring even a single cup of water to someone in My name, that's, that's a treasure for you in heaven. So even our smallest acts carried out out of a yielded heart, a heart that's at least trying to get close to God and to change the way God, in the way God wants it to change, a heart that's yielded even a little bit, God welcomes your worship with open arms. But I just, I think we need to heed Jesus' warning. That if I think I can fill my head with hate, I can fill my eyes with lust, I can fill my ego with the ability to crush other people, but show up on Sunday and everything's fine because here I am. I am fooling myself. I'm not fooling anybody else. I'm certainly not fooling God. I am fooling myself. If you offer God external acts to make up for an unrighteous private life, you might be a legalist, according to the way Jesus describes it. Now, Jesus talks about this in another context in Matthew chapter 23. He, he, he really gets on to the Pharisees, the same group of people. He says, oh, you're so careful. You're out there in your garden and you're tying a little string onto every tenth plant to make sure that you don't accidentally forget to tie the tenth of everything that God gives you. Everybody can see how long you like to make your tassels because that's slightly mentioned in the Old Testament and and how big you want to make your phylacteries, because there's that one obscure verse that says, tie them on your foreheads, tie my words on your arm, on your forehead. Everybody gets to see those things. You're so careful. Jesus says, don't, don't do those things. He doesn't say that. He says, what you've forgotten is God in your heart. Righteousness. Mercy, that is benevolent, taking care of people. Love. These are the great things of the law. You shouldn't leave the other, the small things undone. It's fine to tithe to God. It's fine to be very careful about tithing. That's great, Jesus says. But not if you're leaving undone love and justice and mercy and all the great things that God wants to do in your life to change your heart to be what it should be. These you ought to have done and not left the others undone, Jesus ends up saying in that discussion in Matthew 23. 
Every one of us has a little bit of legalism in, them, in us. It's just kind of built into the fallen world, I think. So, so don't be surprised if you find some of this in you. What you need to do. When God's Word, read or spoken, identifies an area where you, need, you have problems, you need to address it. Don't close your ears. Don't close your heart to what God is calling you to do. Make the change that you know God wants you to make. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't, don't, don't say another day. Do it now. Yield. The blessings of moving deeper into godliness are eternal blessings. They last forever. They last forever. If you need to respond in your own heart, or if you need to respond in a more public way, if you are ready to receive baptism to wash away your sins and start the new life, if any of these things apply to you, then we invite you to make the response you need to make as we stand and as we sing.